Welcome to Off the Clock, a podcast by Persino Wells and Woodland, where we take a team-centered, family-focused approach to serving the estate planning and elder law needs of our community on the Eastern Shore. I'm Leslie DiPietro, attorney with the firm, and I'm joined today by Amber Woodland, another attorney with the firm. We are excited to discuss the topic of probate, uh, so let's get started. Sounds good. Good. Amber, so probate is something that it's kind of a, it's a legal technical term that we throw out there. So I think we should start by just helping people understand what is probate. Sure. So probate is the legal proceeding and process that happens after a person passes away with an estate of a certain size. The laws vary by state, but when a person passes with only a will or with no will, typically the assets have to go through the formal probate process. And it's just simply a standardized process that the executor, the personal representative must walk through before completing the final distribution of a decedent's assets. And who oversees that probate process? So there's a register of wills in every county. And so if you pass away a resident of a particular county, it would be the county register of wills in that particular state. And so the team at the register of wills helps guide executors and personal representatives all the time through that process. It is much easier to get through probate with an attorney involved because it doesn't require personal appearance by the executor or personal representative. It it makes it a little bit easier and more streamlined. But the Register of Wills is a wealth of knowledge and their team at the, the offices there can really be helpful in navigating someone through that proceeding. Um, if anybody's been listening to our podcast, they know that we've talked a lot about avoiding probate. So why don't you take a moment to talk about what, what are some reasons that people might want to avoid that administrative probate process? In a nutshell, probate is public, it is expensive, it is time-consuming, and having to deal with the time, the expense, and the delay of probate during an otherwise emotional time is something that we encourage our clients to consider avoiding. So on the estate planning side of things, we suggest the use of trust in a lot of cases to eliminate the time, expense, and delay of probate. But if the assets aren't properly aligned with the trust, or if a client only creates a will, or if a client doesn't do any planning at all, that's typically when the probate process starts. And in a nutshell, like I mentioned, it is a legal proceeding that is all of public record. So it's a very public process. It's deadline driven. There are specific statutory deadlines that the personal representative must meet. And without an extension granted, it's pretty hard and fast that these deadlines must be satisfied. It can also be overwhelming because it can take anywhere from eight months to a year or even longer in some cases. So Besides all of that, we have the fees involved, too, with probate. And and every county is different in the fees that they charge. And then a lot of times it's dependent upon the value of the estate that we're probating. But it's very easy to do some simple math and see that oftentimes doing planning to avoid probate is less expensive than having your estate go through probate. So we indicated when we were planning this episode, we were talking about covering probate from beginning to end. So let's talk about in the beginning, you know, before anybody files anything with the register of wills, um, what is the the person who's going to sort of take charge or be in charge of the estate? What do they need to do first? Step one to start the probate process is for the personal representative. So that's the executor, the administrator to determine whether there's an original will, locate the original will and then file the will, the death certificate, 
and then what are called opening probate documents with the Register of Wills office. That is the very first step in starting probate, and it's necessary in order for the personal representative to get what I call the golden ticket. And it is a document called letters. Sometimes it's called short certificates. It is the document that says that the executor, the administrator, the personal representative, those terms are interchangeable, has the legal authority to do what he or she needs to do on behalf of this particular estate. Really good. So if a will is found and located and it designates a personal representative, that person gets the authority to act. What happens if a person doesn't leave a will? How does the Register of Wills decide who has authority to act? So there's a hierarchy as to who can act as a personal representative when there is no will nominating that person. And so in a lot of cases, it's what you would expect. It would go to spouse. It would go to children next. It would then look up if there's a parent that may be able to be appointed in that role, siblings, nieces, nephews. So it's a logical order of hierarchy. But this is one of those things, if you want to control who's going to carry out your final wishes, you must have an estate plan because those default state laws may not be appointing the people that you would want to carry out your wishes. Talking about control, when we when we look at the uh, default or the intestate statute, it really it really classifies people by groups, right? It classes of people. So if all of your children have the authority to act under the intestate statute, that means all three have to be appointed unless some of them resign, right? They they say I don't want to act. So it it can leave a situation where there's some conflict, right? So again, creating that will, designating the one child or the children in successive order instead of all at the same time can really help from the get-go make things easier. Absolutely. Location of the will sometimes too is something that's really important to point out. We have seen all kinds of crazy storage places for legal documents. You can put them wherever you want, keep them safe, but make sure that your, especially your personal representative knows where to find the original documents because if we can't locate the original, it's more of a legal process to have a copy admitted. And that means more fees, more delay, more publicity. And we want to avoid that if possible. Yeah. All of that before you've even gotten started. Right. right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. All before you've gotten the golden ticket and you right. can do a single solitary thing. Yeah. So let's say I filed the opening documents. I've received the golden ticket from the register of wills. What's my next step? Next step is collect, gather, marshal together the assets. So we preach asset information all the time with our families being the number one piece of information that's needed when a person becomes incapacitated or passes away. But if there's not a nice, neat, tidy asset list, that is the very first thing that the personal representative is going to need to do is collect the asset information. We don't want to miss anything, even more the reason to create the list to leave for your personal representative. But it means gathering and determining, is there real estate? Are there rental properties? Is there farmland? Is there a beach house? Is there a timeshare interest? Life insurance, bank accounts, stocks, bonds, CDs, all business interests, all kinds of stuff comes up. And it's necessary to pull that together so that then the personal representative has clear direction on, okay, what needs to be done with each particular asset? And so as you're saying this, I'm thinking, you know, from a person who doesn't have that legal experience, who doesn't probate estates every day, that can be an overwhelming task. And they might feel like, I don't know how to do those things. Do you want to talk about the benefit of working with an attorney to help you through that process? Absolutely. You know, we can't do everything for a client who hires us to get them through probate, but we can certainly take a lot off of their shoulders. 
and we can make it feel a lot less overwhelming because it's sort of like you mentioned, you get the golden ticket. So you have your letters or your short certificate. And that was a hurdle in and of itself to get that. And then you have the task of marshalling these assets and figuring out what to do. And then you got to notify the beneficiaries and let them know that they're entitled to a share of these assets and start making decisions. And it's really, really nice to have guidance, to have counsel, to have someone that you can bounce your questions off of who has experience of working through the probate process and how we can get this done as efficiently and fairly and as consistent with the terms of the estate plan as possible. And so timing is really important too. It's not like you have an infinite amount of time to to do these things. The next step in the probate process is the inventory, right? Right. So talk about inventory and when that's required to be filed. So an inventory is due only within a few months after you get your golden ticket. So they don't give you much time. And so what that inventory is doing is it's taking a snapshot of the decedent's assets as of their date of death. So not only do you have to marshal together the assets, you have to identify a value for those assets as of the date of death. So that requires appraisals, that requires bank statements, that requires stock values, treasury bond values, all kinds of different research that has to be done in order to snapshot the assets and their value on the date of death of the decedent. So the inventory is a public document, again, that gets filed. So any nosy neighbor can retrieve these documents from the register of wills or through a title search at any time. And there are schedules on the inventory that outline the different types of assets, who's entitled to them as far as the real estate is concerned, and the corresponding value. So it can be a job, again, to just get through the inventory process to outline all of that. Something that comes up or comes to mind related to the inventory is kind of the the miscellaneous section. What is miscellaneous property? That's vehicles, tangible property, and that can be overwhelming for families too to, to get Kelly Blue Book values on vehicles, to put a dollar amount on the household contents. So Register of Wills is looking for a snapshot of all of the assets because that's what they're going to base everything else on throughout the rest of the process as far as what's required in terms of next steps, what will be due in terms of fees. It's all going to be based on that snapshot. And let's talk about retitling of some assets as that occurs throughout the estate administration process or their probate process Mm -hmm. too, because the inventory is going to detail what the asset was and what the value was when the decedent passed away. But what's the personal representative's responsibility really with respect to those assets as he or she prepares to finally distribute those assets to the beneficiaries. So it's necessary for the personal representative to open an estate bank account in almost every case. So we can't use the decedent's personal checking account. So once the personal representative is appointed, they would go to a bank of their choice, they would take their golden ticket, and they would open an estate bank account. That's where the executor is going to pay bills and expenses from. It's also a place where assets can be consolidated. So if there are assets at banks here, there, and everywhere, it's going to be the job of the personal representative to close potentially those accounts and get them out of the decedent's name and into the name of the estate so that then they can be distributed. Yeah. And along that same line, you were talking about the importance of having an asset list or detailed uh, information about what the decedent had Do you want to talk a minute about what assets would be included in probate and what assets would actually pass outside of this probate process? Yeah, really good distinction I think that we should absolutely make. Assets that are subject to probate are those that are in a decedent's individual name that have no joint owner 
on them and no beneficiary designated on them. So in a married couple case, you often see where the spouses jointly own assets. At the first spouse's death, there's typically no probate requirement because everything passes automatically by joint ownership or through beneficiary designation to the surviving spouse. But at the second spouse's later death, all of the assets would potentially be subject to probate if they don't have a surviving joint owner on them or there's no beneficiary properly designated. Really good. And you talked uh, before that there's there's a threshold, a probate threshold. Do you want to just kind of throw those numbers out for listeners? Sure. So in Delaware, there's a $30,000 probate threshold. It is really low. It's kind of one of those getcha things. We have a lot of folks who move to Delaware. It's a great place to live. I've I've lived there my whole life and I love it. But there are sort of some things that folks who move into the area don't necessarily realize that our probate threshold is low, $30,000 or individually held real estate. So even for a person who doesn't have more than $30,000 of individually held assets, but they have a house, their estate is probably going to be subject to probate. In Maryland, the threshold's a little higher at $50,000. But in in a lot of cases, Marylanders need to also consider probate avoidance because the the same facts are still there. There's still a public process. There's still fees and expenses. There's still delay. And 50000 is still pretty low. I mean, you yeah. could have two vehicles and quickly get to that number without really realizing it. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It feels like almost double Delaware. So it kind of feels like this big <laughs> divide. But yeah, absolutely. 50000 is still pretty low, too. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about creditors for a moment. So we filed the inventory, but creditors, right, are people who are owed money from the estate. Do you want to talk about how creditors become aware that they might have an opportunity to receive something from the estate and sort of the timeline and and how that processes along the track of probate? So you may see notices in the newspaper periodically that are separate from an obituary section, and those are called creditor notices. And the idea behind a creditor notice is to say that this person has passed away, and if you are owed money by this person, you have a statutory period of time in which you must file a claim against the estate. And if you miss that claim window, you're out of luck and there's no recovery opportunity for that creditor. So newspaper notices, courthouse notices, these are all creditor notices to make sure that everyone's on notice of the person's death. And if they're due money, they have a fair amount of time to file those claims. If a claim is filed, it must be addressed. It doesn't necessarily have to be paid And that's an important distinction. It just must be addressed. So in some cases, we can reject claims. We can negotiate claims. We can pay claims. It really just depends on the facts and circumstances. Really good. And until all those claims are satisfied, could we ever close the estate? Never. Yeah, we have to deal with all filed claims. And then the creditor actually has to file a supplemental document with the Register of Wills Office that says, this claim has been dealt with before they will allow the estate to be closed. So let's assume that the personal representative has gotten through all of those sort of moving pieces. What's the last phase of probate with respect to the register of wills? So now we have to file a formal accounting. An accounting is where we take that snapshot of assets from the inventory and we add to it anything else that's come in to the estate since the filing of that inventory. That can be refunds by way of example. It could be tax payments. It could be a change in value even in some cases. But that is designed to be our starting place. And then on the accounting, we then have to account for every transaction that's come in or out of the estate from that point. So there's 
administrative expenses that have to come off. There are debts and other expenses that come off. There's funeral-related expenses that come off. There's commissions that may be paid to the personal representative. There's attorney's fees, all to get to a net estate figure so that we can then determine what is the net value and what amount of fees is now due to the Register of Wills office on this particular estate. When we file the accounting, we have to pay any additional fees from the estate to the Register of Wills office before they will even consider reviewing the accounting and closing, formally closing the estate. The accounting is the last phase of work for the personal representative. What's the process for the Register of Wills sort of wrapping up the estate from that point forward? So the Register of Wills looks at all the ins and outs on the accounting. And in some cases, we have to file the receipts or the proof of those ins and outs. And in some cases, we don't. But it's their job to just reconcile that accounting to make sure that all the math is correct. It then goes through the Register of Wills, through the court for final approval, and then a final account sign-off, if you will, is issued. And that's what gives the personal representative clearance that they've gotten the Register of Wills stamp of approval before they should consider making distributions to the heirs. Because if an executor or personal representative makes a distribution too soon and they need more money into the estate, they've sort of shot themselves in the foot and they can't get it back. And in some cases, the personal representative can become personally liable for those things that may come up. So our advice is wait in most cases to make distributions until we have that seal of approval from the Register of Wills. So long and short of it, it takes a long time to get through this process. And you just said the beneficiaries are going to wait until the end, until we know the work is done before they're really going to get the money from the estate. It can be years in some cases. Yeah. So just another reason to to think about maybe a plan to avoid that probate process. Exactly. Very good. Thank you so much. I think we're out of time, but I have appreciated listening to you today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us today on Off the Clock. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at pwwlaw.com. Of course, you can contact us directly by calling 302-628-4140 or emailing info at pwwlaw.com. We're here to help you plan today to protect your families tomorrow. See you next time. Anything discussed on Off the Clock is for general informational purposes only and is not intended to create an attorney-client relationship. To obtain the most reliable guidance, listeners are encouraged to seek personalized advice from qualified professionals.